So there's one small edit and correction that I have to make for this episode. And that is that the Tag Teach Fundamentals course did used to be free, but apparently now is $39 US. You'll find the templates in the resources folder under the materials for this class, but I still advise you to support them by buying that particular piece of content. It's a very good introduction to the basic principles of tag teaching and the idea of the focus funnel and the wolf method. It's very, very good. And I strongly recommend that you do that. But to correct what you'll hear shortly, uh, I was under the impression it was still free because it has been for years and years. Evidently that is not the case anymore. So my apologies for the mistake. In addition to that, a little later on, you'll hear me talk about the brainwashing book, which is uh, a book on the concept of brainwashing, surprisingly enough. I think it's very important to always endeavor to support content creators directly. So I do have a recommendation that you buy her book, but you can buy it from Amazon or you can buy it from her own website, which I have put a link to in the notes. And if you buy it from her own website, she gets to keep a larger percentage of the money and you don't support Amazon. So it's a win-win. It is a decent book. However, it is not necessary for what I'm trying to teach you in this class that you read the contents of that book. Good morning. As always, a summary at the beginning. So the main thrust of this is two different skill sets, operant conditioning and erotic hypnosis. You will use these in parallel simultaneously to create an incredibly deep, connective, and intimately personal relationship that is centered around brainwashing with your partner. Now, the fastest method of mastering these two skill sets I will outline here. So, and as always, there'll be extra details in the show notes on how to progress forward to an intermediate and then advanced level. When it comes to operant conditioning, go to the Tag Teach website, T-A-G-T-E-A-C-H website, and look for their free, free online fundamentals course. There is a paid one there, but the free one is more than sufficient. Take the templates from that, obviously, you know, go through the course, um, learn the basics, and then go to the resources folder or get a copy from Karen Pryor's book, Don't Shoot the Dog, of the nine laws of shaping. I'll put a copy of them in the resources folder for you um, in a folder specifically set aside for this class to gather all these materials together. Uh, there'll also be a reading list in the show notes. And then play the training game, the details of which you will also find on PDFs in the resources folder with your partner according to the details outlined in the show notes. So basically play it a certain number of times, etc. So operand conditioning, tag teach online free fundamentals course, the templates from that, the PDF with the nine laws or 10 laws of shaping, the training game explanations, and then within the resources folder and within the episode, well, within the folder that I set aside for this class, within that resources folder, 
I will put some templates of my own construction, detailing and outlining simple behavior chains for common erotic outcomes. So teaching your partner to suck your dick more often, teaching your partner to cuddle with you better, teaching your partner to do basic behaviors of both the sexual and non-sexual nature, utilizing the format that you will find familiar from the tag teach uh, templates so that then you can begin to use those and then ultimately construct your own along the lines of an effective template. Now, when it comes to erotic hypnosis, what I strongly recommend is that you go to the resources folder from the website. The website is thewordsmithspeaks, T-H-E-W-O-R-D-S-M-I-T-H-S-P-E-A-K-S.com. Find the resources folder there, and inside that you'll find the script library that I've been putting together. Take those scripts, read them, and then record them in your own voice and give them to your partner to listen to. They will be modeled along the lines of effective scripts, and there will be examples of particularly exceptional work in that field. There will also be details in there on how to create your own scripts from pre-existing material, as well as some guidance, not complete, but some guidance on how to customize each script for your own purposes. However, there will also be in the show notes for this episode, a simple metric that you should use of you know, making, say, five recordings before modifying the scripts. I strongly caution you not to experiment too early, but instead learn effective patterns and then simply replicate them while consciously accepting that you don't necessarily understand why they work yet. Just do the thing that works. This class will not teach you how to become an exceptional erotic hypnotist. I have other classes for that, and I'm working on expansions to those classes. But it will teach you how to use erotic hypnosis, specifically simple recordings that you make for your partner in your own voice, in your relationship, to change their behaviors, change your behaviors. Now, all of this is done with the intention and purpose of creating an exceptional, incredibly deep, meaningful relationship between the two of you that is the source of so much joy and passion and lust and need and love and connection. All of this is done with the purpose of living a better life with someone that is worthy of you and worthy of controlling your mind. So with all of that in mind and our positive intentions set, I will continue now to explain in more detail. So, let us begin with the fundamental understandings that must be discussed before any further discussion of technique or methodology. So, it is very important to understand that brainwashing is a bi-directional relationship. So you are brainwashing them, and they are also brainwashing you back. It's also very important to understand that the nature of the relationship that you can create, and I, I can't express enough, this is incredibly critical. It is not enough just to master the technical elements of these two skill sets, as I have outlined them here in this class and extensively within the, the, the notes it is not enough to simply be good at doing the thing. What you have to understand is like brainwashing, 
Okay, so the nature of the brainwashing that you can do to them and the relationship that can come from that brainwashing is a subset of you as an individual. So what that means is that many people overlook this. So there are a number of common pitfalls, and I'll talk about these in more detail. But basically, no, I'll talk about them in a moment because it's not relevant to discuss it here. But the short part that you need to remember for now is that this is limited by you. So what kind of relationship you can create is a subset of you as a person. Now, it should be obvious from the truth of this statement that at some point in the future, you yourself as the brainwashing operator slash practitioner slash person doing the thing is going to have to change and improve. The most painful experiences of my life, and I don't talk about this glibly, but I will mention it very briefly here and go over it in much greater detail in a series of other episodes so that you can learn from my mistakes. The most extraordinarily breathtakingly painful experiences of my life have been when I was in a relationship where I realized that I was the one that needed to change and for various reasons I wasn't able to change. It's a complicated topic. It's worth an exploration on its own basis. But understand that the nature of the brainwashing relationship that you're capable of creating is a function, a subset of you as an individual. And so logically it follows very simply that in order to create an extraordinarily beautiful brainwashing relationship, you yourself must transform into the kind of person that is capable of doing that. It's very, very easy to do these things as a behavior, and we'll talk about behavior and identity shortly. But at some point, there will be things that you may want to do or need to do that will be outside of your identity, and then you will have to undergo the same transformation that you may need to guide your partner through. So be aware that at some point, it's possible that you may become the limiting factor in this, and begin working on yourself. So this is the, the problem, and I'll, I'll present problems and then simple solutions to them in, in companion pairs. Because only a handful of things truly frustrate me, and one of those things is when people present you with a problem, and then they just finish the sentence and just act like they've you know, done their fucking job. No. The problem must always be followed by a solution or at least an exploration of potential solutions. So it's not enough to say eventually you will, you may, you may come up to a situation where the relationship is limited by you as a person and then leave that there. The solution to this is to develop yourself so that the nature of what you can create expands and deepens. It's very important to always work with exceptionally good raw material. And it's also okay to understand that, well, this is another episode that I'll be recording shortly, but as a dominant man or whatever, as the person doing the thing, it's necessary for you to understand that it's not submissive in any way for you to want to improve yourself and for you to use these same tools to improve yourself. 
I'm working on content around that too. There is a massive and critically important shortage of self-improvement material targeted towards dominant men and women. And that is something that I intend to resolve because of the massive social and relationship problems that that causes. One of the things that it's possible to do with these tool sets is to train a person who is okay slash ordinary slash average into someone who is breathtakingly exceptional in every dimension. So a brainwashing relationship is bi-directional. There's always some element of them influencing your behavior, even if you appear to be the only person influencing their behavior, or at least, you know, it appears monodirectional, but it's actually bi-directional. And the nature of what you can create is limited as a subset of you, which means that in order to create something extraordinarily beautiful, you must work on yourself. And don't worry, I will have other episodes for that, but I will also outline some simple and effective tools within this episode that you will find particularly useful. Now, these tools often have multiple applications, particularly in the nature of proactively preventing codependency. So let's address that now. There are several effective mechanisms for proactively avoiding or limiting a codependency. So the one that I have developed that is the first and most important one is called the four dimensions of independence. All of these details will be in the episode notes. So the four dimensions are physical, emotional, sexual, and financial. And when you are fully independent in all four of those dimensions, when you meet the basic standards for independence that I have outlined, I believe, in other episodes, it is massively harder to become dependent on someone as long as those independencies are maintained. So, for example, if you're physically independent, you are capable of navigating around the world and moving yourself from place to place and buying food and finding a place to live by yourself. Not necessarily living by yourself, but you're capable of finding a place to live without relying on other people to find it for you. And so if you're physically independent, you become much more resistant to any kind of dependency that involves someone having to do those things for you because you need them to. And likewise with emotional and sexual. And There are deeper explanations of these concepts and there are deeper explanations of the standards. And you'll find all of these details in the episode notes. And I think I might also put them in the episode notes for this class as well. So when it comes to independence, maintain your independence in all four of those dimensions, physical, emotional, sexual, and financial, and it will massively protect you against developing codependencies or even any kind of dependencies, which is so commonly a side effect of brainwashing relationships. What I have seen a lot of is guys who really care, who are deeply empathic and very powerfully motivated to help their partner be their best self. And I've seen those guys get left behind because they don't care enough about their own happiness for various reasons. And so an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Maintaining the four dimensions of independence within yourself and encouraging your partner to develop their own four dimensions of independence while not taking on any responsibility for their outcome of doing that is also very, very useful. Now, when it comes to brainwashing and conditioning, uh, you can use hypnosis to massively expand the effect of triggers on an individual's response. Uh, you can 
find more details about that in the episodes that I will reference in the notes. But I think from memory it's called um, Constructing Improved Triggers or something like Massive Improvements to Trigger Methodology, something like that. And you can create marker signals that have deeply hypnotic effects, which are stupidly effective. However, it's best... So, you can understand these mechanisms for proactively avoiding dependency issues. And you can choose to use them or not. And there's no real judgment from me, and there shouldn't be any judgment from anybody else. If you choose not to do them, your reasons are your own. And as long as it's within whatever you've negotiated with your partner, that's completely fine. But a surprisingly large number of women have deep-seated emotional and sexual fantasies about being made to be dependent on someone, and it's not for us to decide whether those fantasies are valid. What I would do in that situation, before intentionally creating a dependency of any kind, is to ensure that the partner, the woman, could maintain those four dimensions of independence for herself, so that she's not making a choice from scarcity, but making a choice from, well, not necessarily abundance, but from ability. She's capable of paying her own bills, but she's choosing to instead enter into a relationship where you make the money and she stays at home and, and provides the things that only women can really provide. Um, or, you know, she's entering into a relationship with you where you both have a car and you only really need one car now, so you're going to sell her car, which would make her a little bit more physically dependent on you. And that's okay because she's capable of being physically independent, but she's consciously and deliberately choosing to be more dependent on you. So I'm not against, and this is hard to talk about without bringing in the concepts of dependence, independence, and interdependence, which again, I believe I've covered in another episode, which I'll also reference in the notes. Wow, I really tried to keep this simple. <laughs> I'm trying to keep this as simple as possible. The actual, I, I promise you, the actual technical details of this are very, very simple. It is extremely simple to construct an actual brainwashing relationship with someone. The actual technical execution of the brainwashing. It's very, very easy. I mean, I could teach the average person to do it in about 15 minutes, quite competently. Someone exceptional in even less time. However, what I'm trying to do here, and what I'm discovering as I'm going along here, even though I have a small outline, is that I'm actually talking more about the meta of the construction of the brainwashing relationship. And these are questions that people have not really asked me to solve because they don't really know that these are problems that need to be solved. Um, they're more concerned generally with the how do I do this rather than the what is the right time to do this, how is the best way to do this out of all of the different ways that are possible, what are some of the pitfalls, how do I proactively avoid those pitfalls. These are questions that people just don't know to ask, and so I'm trying to solve them before people ask them. Similar to how I advise you to solve issues of dependency in a brainwashing relationship before they become issues of dependency. Seeing as I've given you a summary at the start, I feel quite comfortable in rambling for a little while here. This will be a longer class, I'm anticipating, as I'm looking at my outline and realizing how much more I have to cover, how much more I get to cover. So, love is a verb. And I didn't really understand that when I was a child. 
I have never been formally educated in grammar. And it's only quite recently in the last few months as I've become quite adept at learning German. I've been uh, teaching myself how to speak German uh, as part of a consolidated effort to improve my skills as a hypnotist to the highest possible level. And one of the things I learned is that one of the sticking points for me has been that I don't have any understanding of grammar, either English or German, which made learning German grammar a little bit tricky. Uh, so I have taken a sidebar into learning English grammar at the same time that I'm working on my German, you know. And I have to say, learning German has been one of the most fun things I have ever done in my entire life. It is fucking magical. I am having so much fun doing this. But I didn't understand what a verb was until about three months ago. Because I'm sure that I was taught it as a child, but just for whatever reason didn't stick. I wasn't familiar with the formal definition of what a verb was. And so it really held me back in learning German because I don't understand German grammar. And specifically, I have a basic lack of understanding, well, I used to, of even what basic grammatical terms were. I learned all of my English grammar entirely through osmosis. I spent the majority of my childhood and basically all of my teenage years either reading every single book in our public library multiple times and my school library and my extensive home library multiple times or outside um, in the vacant lot next to our house playing war with my friends. Uh, we used to spend just days at a time camping out there, taking territory, fighting with swords and shields that we'd make in our garages, building siege weaponry. We built a... We built a zipline once out of scrap yard wood that we took from curbside pickup when they did it here for free. They still do it for free. People put all their things out on the verge and uh, you just take whatever you want for free. And so we took some scrap wood and... Uh, some waxed crayfishing rope. And then we went to a, a junkyard in town and rooted around in all like the beaten down cars and cut out all of the old seat belts. And then we made ourselves a zip line. That was pretty freaking cool. So yeah. For the vast majority of my uh, childhood and teenage years, read and play war. Because of that, I didn't get a formal understanding of grammar. And because of that, I didn't really understand that the word love is a verb. And the reason this is relevant is the intention of a thing to many degrees dictates the form of a thing. Love is what you do. Love is what you do to someone. It's what someone does to you. It's what you do with someone, and sometimes it's what you do for someone. The reason this is relevant is that to brainwash someone is an act of love. 
an investment of time and focus. Of course, there can be baser motivations for this, and those are perfectly valid too, but the intention of this class is to give you tools to create something beautiful, something higher, something deeper, something more intense. Always intensity. What was the model I made up for myself as a child? Audacity. Always audacity. Brainwashing someone is about love. It is an act of love. And it's surprisingly easy to do, but it's best done with the right intentions. And of course, then the quote, of course, comes up. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, blah, blah, blah. For every quote, there's a counter quote. We know all these things. But beginning with high intentions, positive intentions, and understanding that the nature of a brainwashing relationship is not one-directional and limited by you, which necessitates you valuing yourself as much as you value your training partner. One of the issues that needs to be proactively addressed in a brainwashing relationship is this element of it creating an overall imbalance in the relationship as time progresses. She gets smarter, stronger, healthier, happier, sexier, wealthier, and you, the practitioner, have no one to help you. You have no one to do for you what you have done for her. And so the solution to this is to have you brainwash each other into being better people. There's nothing wrong with this morally. There's nothing wrong with this in any way that conflicts with a healthy DS or vanilla relationship. And the ideal process that I will outline involves playing the training game together. This, of course, leads to another episode that I'm working on about how dominance and submission are subjective elements and not objective elements. And they depend on the position of the observer. And I go this... I'll talk about that in a separate episode. But we want to proactively prevent one person massively exceeding the other. And we also want to proactively prevent the abuse of people who are doing the conditioning by people who are being conditioned. But again, these are other episodes that I will talk about these topics in more detail. They're just simply things to be aware of. And uh, the way that you prevent that, because I hate people preventing a, presenting a problem and then not presenting some kind of solution, just frustrates me. So the way you prevent this is by playing the training game and incorporating elements of the three-minute game into how you practice doing your conditioning on each other, as well as each of you independently maintaining four dimensions of independence as a proactive mechanism to prevent or at least very much limit the construction of a codependency or dependency. And also to understand that improving each other should never be the primary focus of the relationship. It can be a happy, beneficial side effect of building an amazing life together, but it should not be, ideally, when I say ideally, I mean, I strongly recommend that you don't do it this way. <laughs> um, ideally, you want the, the nature of the relationship itself to latently improve you. 
without improving you necessarily being the focus of the relationship because that tends to create very one-sided relationships. You're the dom, you're teaching her, she gets better, she gets smarter, she gets stronger, you solve all of her problems and at the end of the day, well, at the end of the day what typically happens is they leave uh, for a variety of different reasons but those Unbalanced relationships, I have not seen resolve themselves in a satisfactory way, which is a very diplomatic way of saying uh, it's a massive trap. Don't do that. So avoid that imbalance by brainwashing each other, conditioning each other, but not as the primary function of your relationship, because then you would basically be doing therapy on each other. And that is fine. But it's a little bit difficult to reconcile the therapy with a romantic and sexual relationship. It can be done. But the major limiting factor there is both the proficiency and the willingness of the submissive partner. Why would they help you when they're getting everything for free? Um, Which is another thing I have to address, teaching basic empathy skills to submissives. So the way that you avoid that problem is that you brainwash each other, but you also understand that the primary focus of your intimate relationship is not the brainwashing. It is to have the relationship. And the brainwashing forms a healthy and sustainable but not primary part of that relationship. As in, the relationship is about the two of you and what you're building together. It happens to involve brainwashing each other. But it's not singularly and only focused around brainwashing each other. It has to be more than just that. The brainwashing can be a a mechanism that facilitates incredible connection, but it can't be the only reason that you are in a relationship together. Because, well, it's a complicated topic, but it's better to do it in a way where you are improving each other, but that is not the purpose, the primary purpose of the relationship. The improvement of each other comes from a natural side effect of the presence of the relationship in both of your lives. So in simpler terms, it would look something like, I like who I am when I am around her, and, and this is very important, and she makes me want to be a better person for myself. And vice versa, of course, you know, she would say the same things about him. But improving each other is not the primary focus of the relationship. It can be a fun thing that you do together. It can be something very connective. But to proactively avoid forming a codependency, it should not be the primary function of the relationship. Uh, It typically, in those situations, leads to a massive imbalance and wildly abusive behavior. Just, wow, crazy bad. So, yes, I feel like I've looped through that a couple of times to emphasize the importance Now, one of the things you can also do to proactively avoid codependency is when you use the episode on creating improved triggers, you can attach that to the sound that you use or whatever marker signal you've been using for your operant conditioning slash shaping. Shaping is easier to say, so I'm just going to use shaping. You attach that to that, but you also give them the ability to self-trigger. It's one of the things I often do, depending on the nature of the relationship, with someone that I'm teaching uh, all the different kinds of orgasms to. So the nature of what I would teach them is a little different depending on the nature of our relationship. So for example, if I'm teaching a client how to have different kinds of orgasms, 
I would teach them how to have those different kinds of orgasms and then attach that to themselves so they can trigger this off with anyone that they choose to, consciously or unconsciously, so that they can self-trigger, right? And then they can choose whatever is in their own long-term best interest to attach that to a particular partner, let's say their husband of 30 years or vice versa. Um, And in that case, I'm quite happy to facilitate that if that's what the client is asking for. But I would always in that situation pass through the intermediary step of making them able to self-trigger and having it be just as sexually satisfying, if not as emotionally satisfying, because there is a significant emotionally intense component to like being fucked by somebody else that is that is not present in masturbation, for example. Um, I would always have them I would always teach them the intermediary step of being able to trigger themselves as a proactive step to prevent codependency or dependency. And then if they ask me to teach them how to have that with their husband or only their husband specifically. And vice versa. Um, but it depends on what they ask for. And I would always use that teaching them how to self-trigger as, as an important component of this. So that's more relevant if you are going to use hypnosis, uh, which is not something that we really cover teaching in this particular class. I will talk about how to use scripts and things later on. But this is more if you want to actually hypnotize someone. Oh, I guess I could just make up a recording to attach. Yeah, I might just do that. I'll make up a script to add to the resources library that allows you to... Well, the process is a little more complicated. No, I think I could probably put it into a script to attach the uh, the improved trigger methodology to whatever marker signal you're using, but do it without you necessarily needing to be a proficient hypnotist. One of the main elements of my work consistently is to make these results and skill sets more accessible to people who don't necessarily want to spend all this time mastering a particularly esoteric skill set, you know, for a particular person or for a particular reason, they don't necessarily want to have to learn how to be a mechanic before they learn how to drive. And that's perfectly valid too. Not everyone has that sort of time. Not everyone has that inclination. Some people just want to drive the car and they don't need to know how the engine works. That's completely fine. So again, before we get deeper into the discussion of the technical ins and outs, let's talk about common pitfalls. Now, one of the issues that you will see is the distinction between identity and behavior. Now, identity and behavior are two different things, and it's very important to understand there is a distinction between them. Behavior is something... So for the purposes of what we're trying to do here, we'll use simplified definitions, but behavior is something that they're able to do as an act. And there are three components to an act, knowing how to do it, knowing what to do, and having some part of you, hypnotists take note, some part of you being willing to do the thing. Um, Now, when people are executing on a behavior or an action, they will find it very, very easy if if that be, well, degrees of, of relative simplicity, if that behavior is within their identity. However, if you are trying to get someone to do something, a behavior that they are not only unfamiliar with, but that is fundamentally outside of their identity, it will often result in very specific kind of problem. 
So what will typically happen is you'll teach someone a behavior and they can do it perfectly well. And then sometimes you'll teach them a behavior and they only do it when you are teaching them that behavior. They seem very reluctant to do it or they cannot do it at all. Delete the previous several minutes of descriptions of identity and behavior. It becomes important to address the nature of identity and behavior and the relationship between the two and the distinctions between the two. So when you are teaching someone something in any real way, if the behavior is within their identity, they will find it relatively simple to do. Now, this is provided that you're satisfying the three requirements of an effective behavior, which is they have to know what to do, they have to know how to do it, and some part of them must want to do it. The reason this is relevant as a potential pitfall is sometimes you can do everything right, but the behavior doesn't stick. What this looks like in practice is you teach them, let's say, let's say how to make you a cup of tea, right? And they can do it perfectly while you are teaching them, but they can't act out that behavior on their own, independently, or without some sort of pressure being applied to them. Now, sometimes this is a failure of motivation, and you are using insufficient or inefficient reinforcers. Other times, it's because their behavior is outside of their identity. Um, let's use forced bisexuality as a simple example here. So a common fantasy of a lot of men is for their partner to be sexual with another woman, right? Now, this is not difficult to achieve depending on, well, I'll, I'll hazard that statement by correcting it to be more accurate. I've never found it difficult to do this, but obviously other people would struggle. And it depends on the nature of the person, the nature of the individual training them, teaching them. Lots of different factors play into the relative difficulty scale of that particular activity, but it can be done. Sexuality is extremely mutable, and female sexuality, even more so. Orders of magnitude more mutable. Now, because this is a behavior that is inherently pleasurable, or, okay, can be learned to be inherently pleasurable, it provides us with an interesting example. So what often happens is that you can teach and train a partner to do sexual behaviors with another woman. And this can lead to strong feelings of emotional attachment and those actions flowing back into post-facto rationalizations that ultimately change their identity in some small or somewhat significant way. It depends. And I hate being imprecise, but unfortunately it's necessary here. Let me try to clarify. So you can teach your female partner to be sexual with another woman, but what you might often find is that she doesn't 
initiate those behaviors on her own. Or as soon as you are not present, those behaviors stop. Or as soon as you are not actively teaching her those behaviors, those behaviors stop. And this is a sign of a problem where you have a behavior that is outside someone's identity. She's not gay. Or bi. Um, and so that is her identity. And those behaviors are outside of that identity. Behaviors like initiating sexual contact with a woman or even being receptive to sexual initiation from another woman. Or sex being initiated by another woman, which is different from a sexual initiation. But those behaviors are outside of her identity. And so what you will tend to see when a behavior is outside of someone's identity is that the behavior only continues under duress. It stops as soon as some sort of force is removed and it does not spontaneously manifest itself. She doesn't do it herself. She has to be told to do it each time, triggered to do it each time, pressured to do it each time, depending on the degree generally to which that behavior is considered by her to be outside of her identity, at least unconsciously. Now, this introduces interesting elements of consensual non-consent. However, the purpose of most behaviors is for the person to eventually internalize them and begin to act them out on their own as part of a complete and integrated and whole identity. So this is a problem that has a very specific recognizable signature, so to speak. When you teach someone to do something that is outside of their identity, they will do it only reluctantly, only when they are ordered to, only under duress, these sorts of things. In situations like this, the necessary solution is to alter their identity, which is a much deeper and more invasive process than altering someone's behavior. And if you're looking at altering identity, definitely get in contact with me because I could probably put some classes out on that, but it's a much more complex process. And it really is the sort of thing that benefits from having done it before. But there's just so many threads to pull here. I'm going to try to pull it back into a, a coherent whole. So one of the problems that can happen is you can do everything right when you're teaching them something and then the behavior just doesn't manifest itself independently of you ordering it to happen, which defeats the validation purpose of a lot of these behaviors, like teaching your girl to pounce on you when you get home from work. If she does it only when you order her to, it removes the validation component of that, and that can sometimes be very significant. So sometimes in, in situations like that where the behavior is not wildly out of character for her, it's usually a lack of motivation, and that can be fixed with altering or improving your reinforcers. But sometimes a behavior that is, I hesitate to say more extreme, but Let's be more precise and, and try to say something like a more of a deviation from her normal character um, that can require changes to her identity. You know, if you're asking her to do something with another girl and she's never had experiences with another girl before, grew up in a very conservative, like moral environment, um, has a number of inner conflicts about acting on those feelings, even if they are present, which they probably aren't then all of those things will have to be addressed and overcome in order for those behaviors to manifest 
at first and then to manifest independently of your order. So in simpler terms, it's perfectly possible to train anybody to be bisexual. It's simply a degree of difficulty and it may require changes to their identity, which is a much deeper and more invasive process than behavior alteration, which is what we're talking about today. The reason this is relevant is sometimes it can be absolutely maddening for you to do everything right and then for the behavior to simply not happen. Sometimes that's because the reinforcer is not correct or adequate. But other times it's because the behavior that you're asking for is outside of her identity. And in that case, you will need to do something a bit more invasive to change that identity so that the behavior that you want is inside of that identity and therefore can be replicated more easily and with less inner conflict from your brainwashing partner, I guess, from the person receiving the brainwashing. Now, another common pitfall to address is if one person in the relationship is completely focused on the development of the other person, for example, a dominant uh, naturally tends to take on a bit more of a caretaking role. I've got some real problems with this, but that is the underlying gestalt of a lot of the bad advice that's given to dominance. Basically, some variation of her problems are your problems and your problems are also your problems, um, which trends towards a very one-sided I hesitate to use the term abusive, but let's say unsatisfying and not mutually fulfilling relationship. There's a reason that I emphasize the words mutually fulfilling in a lot of the work that I do. It's because a lot of relationships are not mutually fulfilling, particularly DS ones. They're very, very satisfying for the submissive who is receiving everything and less so for the dominant who is sacrificing on the behalf of an ungrateful partner. So one of the issues is if you are pouring your energies and efforts into accelerating the development of your female partner, it is very likely at some point that she will begin to exceed you. And she will do this because she has an excellent guide, you. She has someone who can hold her accountable or can guide her and, and create things for her that she could not create for herself, whatever that might be. But whatever structured training environments or emotional contexts might be necessary for her to progress to a higher level of her own development, she has a coach slash dom slash accountability buddy who is intimately involved within her life and deeply invested in her future. And you might not have the same reciprocal relationship. This is why it's important, I believe, for the primary purpose of the relationship not to be singularly improving the other person if it's an intimate partner. It's, better, it's much better to have that come about naturally as an evolution of the function of the relationship a secondary happy coincidence and not the primary function of the entire relationship. But this one-sidedness leads to situations where, let's say you have a, a spindly, physically weak, underdeveloped, skinny, fat male dom, and his female partner has recently become absolutely addicted to eating very healthy and obsessively working out and loving her body and relishing in its physical potential, as she should. However, 
if those two trends progress over time, him remaining stagnant because all of his energies are being poured into improving her and her massively accelerating her own growth and progress, somewhat at the expense of her partners, then the relationship will usually end because she will exceed him and her standards of deservedness that have been at first artificially improved by him and then naturally incorporated as part of her identity over time as these processes generalize will essentially dictate that she will no longer find him sexually attractive. Um, Oftentimes their roles change and he takes on a more feminine role um, in the relationship. But this is a temporary stopgap emergency measure and it's not a sustainable one. So in an effort to prevent these one-sided relationships, I'm a strong advocate of mutually brainwashing each other. I'm also a strong advocate of the four dimensions of independence, which is a concept that I'm quite proud to have come up with. Although it is an expansion of, I think it's Stephen Covey's, Stephen Covey's concept of independence. He had some problems with his one, which I fixed in mine. I'm quite pleased with that. But the solution to this is very simple. You brainwash each other the same way that the three-minute game solves massive structural imbalances sexually, mutually brainwashing each other solves these structural imbalances developing in other ways. So you will both grow and develop. Of course, the trap then is that the relationship that you have is an intimate and sexual one, not necessarily one of therapy. And you will often find that in most of these relationships, one person is significantly more motivated to improve either themselves or their partner than the other one is, which can also lead to an imbalance. So the solution here is to brainwash each other within the domains of what is reasonable for your partner to be brainwashed in by you, and then to seek outside help for more substantial or significant emotional or sexual problems. So in simpler terms... If they want to learn how to suck dick better, teach them that. If he wants to learn how to um, be more sexually aggressive in bed, have her teach him that using these brainwashing techniques. But for something that should be the domain of a therapist, support and encourage your partner in seeking out therapy. I've gone so far as to pay for therapy for my partners. That can be a decision that you make on your own. Um, Oftentimes, one of the things that's overlooked is that people who most need therapy also, at least initially, most need the help to go and seek therapy. Um, Some of the things I've done in the past, which I'm not necessarily recommending to you personally without knowing the specific circumstances of your situation, but I have driven people to therapist appointments. I've paid for those therapist appointments. Only once a person has indicated a genuine desire to change, however muted that might be. You will often find that people who have a problem, well, significantly men seem to struggle with this a lot more often, but they will have difficulty with making that first therapy appointment. So one of the best things you can do for them if you're trying to support them in making a deeper change is to help them by offering to make that appointment or making it with them, making it for them, helping them along the way the first time that they go, the second time that they go, while also maintaining your own independence. One of the issues that I I come across and that I'll have to address in a separate episode is 
men have an instinctive understanding of the necessary and women have an understanding instinctively of the desirable, but they often don't have the same understanding as vice versa. You know what I mean? Um, men have a much more deep affinity for necessary sacrifices in a relationship, whereas women tend to respond to circumstances of necessity in a very distinctly different way than men do, which can cause problems, which again is why I emphasize those four dimensions of independence as a proactive measure. So the solution to your partner eventually becoming superhuman as a result of your brainwashing of them is to have them brainwash you back. And if for whatever reason that's not an option, which it absolutely should be within the realms of what a partner can be reasonably expected to take care of, i.e. simple sexual things and not super deep emotional trauma from your childhood, that's a therapist's job. Um, obviously therapists aren't cheap and I have reading lists of good therapy material. I'm developing a huge amount of extremely radical material in that space. So if you are struggling with those things, email me and I can point you in the right direction. But the solution to that is basically brainwash each other and also to make sure you maintain your independence and also to make sure that you always prioritize both of your needs and not just hers. So that loops into something that I'm working on, which I'll, I'm very excited to present soon. But yeah, stay tuned to the podcast for that. So that's a potential problem. Um, I've seen it happen. It's happened to me multiple times. Um, one of the sticking points here often is that submissives have this incredibly backwards idea that them actually doing literally anything in a relationship is somehow a dominant act. And I'm coming out with a whole series of episodes on patterns of abuse um, perpetrated by submissives against their dominant partners, where I address that and also detail solutions to that as well. But in the, in, in the event that you can't help your partner to see the benefits of mutual brainwashing, you will need to hold even more tightly to the four dimensions of independence. You will need to make sure that your boundaries are respected as a dominant and that you make your needs a priority in your life and in the relationship. Not the only priority, but again, I have material coming out that will make this much easier for you. You can also use uh, synthesization systems, voice synthesizers that have become very good quality now to create audio files for yourself uh, from the scripts that will you know, uplift you, improve your dominance, improve your overall health, the same way that you could create them in your own voice for your submissive partner. If they're not willing to record them for you, you can always use an alternative AI voice and the effect will be basically identical. Not as personal, but basically identical. There is always a solution to every problem. Now, another issue that can pop up that is a common pitfall is inappropriate selection of poor quality raw material. Now, it's not possible to talk about this topic without addressing the status of dating in kink, dating in vanilla society, and that is a huge conversation that I will have more content on soon. But Essentially, if you are a physically attractive, submissive woman 
who is young, you will be able to choose from a large number of men who are willing to teach you things, and the opposite may not be true. Now, what this can sometimes lead to, particularly for men, is that they settle for extremely poor quality raw material. That coupled with the fact that it usually takes a couple of goes to get good at this stuff, not usually, with the presentation of these skills, the way that I've outlined them, you will be able to avoid the literal decade of mistakes that I've made um, and basically go straight to getting good at it. But it's worth mentioning here, without diving too deeply into a broader examination of the absolutely abysmal state of mental health in kink, there are some common truisms. One, people who are involved in kink tend to have a slightly, and this is the thing they often emphasize, a slightly higher degree of emotional awareness. But that is counterbalanced, somewhat unpopularly to mention, by the massively lowered degree of overall mental health within the average kink person. Now, I'm not saying there's a relationship between the two. What I'm saying is, you will have the most success if you are beginning with high-quality raw material. And high-quality raw material in kink is about as good as low-to-average quality raw material outside of kink. Um, and again, not saying that kink causes mental illness, but certain people that have mental illnesses seem to be drawn to its alternative nature and lifestyle. And a lot of mental illnesses are... Michael Yapko talks about this, and I don't like the way that he does, but it's not inaccurate. I, although I believe his definition is it's too simplistic. But basically he talks about how a lot of mental illnesses, not all of them, obviously, but some of them are contagious to some degree. And I don't think the word contagious is appropriate. I think it's a little strong. But if you hang out with a bunch of people who hate themselves unconsciously, it may be that you take on some of those self-limiting attributes. So if you're dating a girl who is into kink and who hangs out with a bunch of people who do drugs, self-harm, don't have a job, hate the world, hate themselves, hate society, and just are very, let's say, negative, you will have poor quality raw material to work with. Now, I covered this more in the series that I did on dating successfully, the designing an ideal relationship sets of classes. Um, but basically what you're looking for is someone who is, well, I can use an example from my own past. You're looking for someone that has a generally and overall positive outlook on life, a positive expectation of the future tempered with some pragmatism, who loves themselves who is generally happy and who overall wants to build an amazing life with someone who is her equal in a positive way. So that's roughly what you're looking for in a female partner. And obviously, if you're a woman, you're looking for that in a male partner too. Other things, additional things, ambition, passion, drive, status, all this other stuff. But I, I go into that in a lot more detail. The important note here is Begin with high-quality raw material. It's perfectly possible to brainwash a legion of adoring sub-slaves on in the internet, on Discord. It's perfectly possible to scale the things that I'm talking about here and 
entice and entrap and ensnare dozens of people who have been marginalized by society or victimized by society or who have some sort of need that you're addressing, whether that's healthy or not. But I can pretty much guarantee that will not lead you to a satisfying relationship because that pattern of behavior typically manifests singularly and solely in someone who is trying to fill a massive emotional hole in their chest. I'm not saying that it can't work, but I am saying that it's a very rare exception where it's a good idea. So when you are building a relationship with your partner that is based on brainwashing, understand that it's best to begin with the highest quality raw material that you can. For more details on building an ideal relationship, just check out the episodes. There's a whole series of them. I think I'm going to do three, definitely, probably four or five as well. But I have on that. There's lots of templates in there. You know, templates are great. Templates are fantastic for building proficiency. I love how I intended this class to be a super simple introduction to very basic concepts. And I'm not even a third of the way through my outline and it's been like, well, longer than I expected. It's okay. The rest of the class will move actually quite quickly. So now that we've covered basic, I like to think of this as like section one, you know, like preparation material. When I was in uh, in high school, we used to do experiments in science and I, at least initially, I would always write down, you know, like these are the ingredients required and these are the, the pre-existing conditions. So for example, it's like heat the Bunsen, you know, turn the Bunsen burner on, heat, well, not necessarily turn it on, but like heat the mixing flask to X degrees, blah, blah, blah. Um, a lot of the time my teacher would instruct me to leave those instructions out, but I thought, well, they're so necessary for replicating the required conditions for an experiment to succeed or to show a result. And so I would always leave them in. One of the things I find really frustrating is when people assume knowledge and act as though you know something that you may not actually know. It's why I often get accused of talking down to people. And I always say now, you know, it's if, if you already know all this stuff, please just tell me so that I can skip over the basics. But I find it very important to reiterate all of the material that is necessary for you to know in order for you to build something using these tools, starting from the best position that's possible. Everything we've talked about so far has the specific intention of eliminating problems before they begin. And I find so many goddamn lecturers skip over this topic completely, which just magnifies the amount of suffering that their idiocy causes. Because you're trying to replicate what they're building, right? You're trying to build an incredibly intense DS relationship with someone who is amazing and intelligent and funny and, you know, all that jazz. And you can't figure out why you can't get it right. And the reason that you can't get it right is that you're starting with poor quality raw materials or that you don't understand what the difference between identity and behavior is and you haven't taken that into account or that, you know, some other common pitfall that they could have taken the time to even outline in a separate PDF prior to the class, you know, just write all this shit down so that people are aware that in order for what you're doing to work most 
consistently excellently, these pre-existing conditions have to exist within yourself, within your partner, within the context that you're doing it. There are many egregious examples of this, particularly around the topic of punishment, where there are descriptions of how to punish someone that omit key information like when it's appropriate to punish them. What are you talking about that you're explaining why the punishment is necessary before you punish them? Um, You know, they assume massive amounts of knowledge and as a result, they spread widespread devastation. Because while the instructions may be correct, it's not possible to replicate their results without information that is missing from their description of these techniques. Hence my obsessive focus on preparing you for being the kind of person that can do this and achieve excellence in the nature of the relationship that you're creating. Now, that being said, you are going to make mistakes. You're going to make lots of mistakes. The thing you have to understand is that these mistakes are not going to break somebody. Anyone who is so fragile, well, this comes down to choosing good quality raw material. Uh, It's not possible to talk about this topic without skipping over this. So it's relevant to address this here. You are going to do things and you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. The issue is if you're the only person in the relationship, quote unquote, doing things, then the other person by definition will never make any mistakes, which means that all the responsibility and all the guilt and all the shame and all the recrimations will fall upon you, right? Now, this naturally happens as the dominant partner, and it's not entirely unhealthy. There's many days to mitigate this, and one of them is choosing a really high-quality partner, which requires, well, not requires, but generally requires that you yourself become exceptional in some way, which is not impossible and not even really that difficult considering how little effort most people put in, but that's a whole conversation about mental health, which we'll have some other time. The point is... The first element to consider is to improve yourself. Eliminate your dependencies, or at least make strong strides towards working on the four dimensions of independence for yourself. Proactively avoid the pitfalls by understanding things like the difference between identity and behavior, and why sometimes even when you do things perfectly, they won't stick. Sometimes it's a lack of motivation. Sometimes your reinforcer is insufficient. Sometimes they don't understand what's being expected of them, and they need to. Sometimes they need to. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes the behavior that you're trying to teach them is outside of their identity. Understand that it needs to be relatively mutual in order for the relationship to remain balanced while both of you still function as independent adults through the four dimensions of independence, having a broad support network outside of your immediate relationship with your female partner, you know, having a couple of close friends. Again, I talk about all this stuff in the Designing the Ideal Relationship series in a lot more detail. And choosing high-quality raw material and not settling for the wrong partner just because they are available, but understanding that you, and this is specifically towards dominant men, mostly because no one else is saying it, but you are valuable. Your time is worth something. Your effort and life are worth something. Do not settle for someone who abuses you or is only interested in an exploitative one-sided dynamic. Mutual happiness is a critical element of a sustainable long-term relationship. 
And I know it sounds absolutely retarded that I even have to mention that, but I do have to mention that because no one else is really talking about it. Well, some people are talking about it, but it's not as widespread as it should be. Relationships should be mutually fulfilling. In the same breath, the same people who are advocating for a lot of mutually fulfilling relationships will, well, <laughs> will respond like the Wicked Witch of the West in The Wizard of Oz when they threw water on her every time that you actually present a real mutually fulfilling relationship. Um, it's an interesting topic. So work on yourself first. Do all of the things to put yourself in the strongest possible position to prevent future problems. Now, these techniques are not that complicated. They're actually extremely simple. I know that I've rambled for quite some time about all the pitfalls and prerequisites. I've paid extra attention to those because I believe they're areas that are extremely important in preventing future suffering for you, as well as critical to improving the maximal intensity of the relationships that you can create with these techniques. So let's talk about shaping slash brainwashing slash operant conditioning. Now, the most effective way to learn this, I outlined in the summary, but I'll talk about it in more detail here. So you're going to go to the TAG Teach website, T-A-G-T-E-A-C-H dot com. And then, well, or it might be dot org, I'm not sure. Google that. Go there, look at their free online mini course, grab the little templates and start designing behaviors. There will also be a folder in the resources folder at my website where you can find pre-filled in examples for common behavior chains. Okay, now the fundamental skills of shaping you will learn through playing one of the super simple drills that I actually outlined in a really early episode, uh, something about core skills. But basically it's called the training game. And there are some PDFs on how you play that that will also be in the resources folder. You can grab those, read them, print them out on paper. One of my favorite things to do is to do this in hotel rooms. So you like print it out on paper, take a girl and just spend like an hour or two in a hotel room. Obviously you spend more than an hour in the hotel room, but just playing the game, going back and forth, back and forth. Now, ideally a training session is not super long because people tend to get bored after about the first 20 minutes, but you want to kind of space it out, do some training, have amazing sex, do some training, have amazing sex, you know, go for a walk, go to a picnic come back, do some training, have amazing sex, that sort of thing. So play the training game with your partner. Understand that when you're designing your own behaviors, that the rules of shaping apply. Know what they are. You don't have to memorize them, but it's best if you know what they are and how they apply. Because if you're not getting consistent results, so this is one of the things that's really different between shaping and erotic hypnosis is... Erotic hypnosis tends to be the sort of process where you talk to them, they listen. One of the things, and this is why I advocate people learn shaping in brainwashing um, before they actually learn how to do erotic hypnosis. So this class is essentially the introduction to uh, a new curriculum I've been working on, the beginnings of a new curriculum, where you don't learn erotic hypnosis at first. You learn shaping slash erotic behavioral design, which is what I've been working on for a while. And then you learn how to use and create, well, how to create and use recordings of your voice to help that process. 
and then you learn how to be an erotic hypnotist. This solves a massive number of problems, which I will go into in more detail elsewhere. But just trust me, I know what I'm doing. I've suffered, you don't have to suffer as much. But those are the core elements. The basics course on their website, the free one, the training game, and the rules of shaping. So you want to grab that, play that with a partner, make it fun, make it exciting. I'll also put in a list of like fun, non-sexual and sexual behaviors. So that you have some pre-made things to work with. Play the game, have fun. It's super simple. Now, when it comes to erotic hypnosis, what you're going to do is go into the resources folder, grab some of the scripts and just record them in your own voice right? Just record them. Don't edit them. Don't fuck around with them. Just record them in your own voice. Read it through and make a recording. Have your partner listen to the recording. Now, there are processes for listening to recordings to maximize their effectiveness. What I generally advise people to do is to listen to it once with their eyes open. Um, If the script is available, read the script. If the script isn't available, use the transcription system I'll put into the show notes to generate a rough outline of what the content is so that you can read through the transcript and you know, be aware of the contents before you consume them in a, in a hypnotic state. Um, this is also why I don't advocate the use of subliminals in any recordings that you make because you want a complete conscious awareness of every piece of content within those recordings to enable them to maximally trust your creation of this content. And that facilitates a much deeper trance experience for them. One of the issues that I face in teaching is the necessity of addressing every individual exception. The very basic structure of this is very basic. Find a partner and have you yourself review the tag teach material and the mini course and do it together if you like. That's the best way. Fill out some templates with simple behaviors, play the training game together, have some skittles, Snuggle up on a hotel room bed, have amazing sex, connect more deeply than you ever have before after only 15 actual minutes of brainwashing each other. And then just repeat this. The training sessions should be about mm, no more than 15 minutes total, but frequent, spaced across the day. If you look at the episode on bracketing, creating effective brainwashing recordings, I outlined that the only part of your day that you can really control is the beginning and the ending of your day. And so it naturally follows that you might like to put some training sessions in at the very beginning of your day. But I'm really not a morning person. And so that would require that you be awake and aware before them, or at least at the same time as them. And I'm a bit more of a night owl, generally. Not to an excessive degree. I just prefer night. It's really not that difficult to do it. I will outline on paper in the notes some more concrete ideas around skills and progressions 
One of the things that I've found very lacking from any material on this topic is how do you know when to progress? Thankfully, shaping contains a number of built-in mechanisms for determining this. Now, the general rule is the rule of threes. If someone can execute a behavior when commanded to, three times consistently, excellently, three times following one another, uh, then you move on to the more complex behavior. And if they can't get that within three tries, you move back to the less, to the less complex behavior. And that's the rough rule of thumb. One of the many benefits of arranging your learning curriculum with operant conditioning preceding the involvement of your learning erotic hypnosis is... Well, one of the issues is that erotic hypnosis contains no built-in mechanisms for measuring when to progress somebody. It's a lot more binary. They either can do it or they can't do it. This is what leads to a lot of people becoming frustrated because of imprecisely defined uh, measurements of success or accomplishment when it comes to things like proficiency within trance. They either can manifest a specific hypnotic phenomena or they can't. However, there are some graduations in respective difficulty that do exist. However, again, the modifications of these depth scales are so extensive that they are... I have found them to be very misleading. And there's a concept in quantum mechanics where observing something changes the nature of that thing. It's most aptly represented in the phrase, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? Now, we know objectively that it must make a sound. However, because you're not in the forest, you can't actually measure whether it does. And so you can't know for certain. You can predict based on past events and your understanding of basic physics, but you can't actually measure because you're not present. And one of the influences that depth scales have is that being aware of the existence of a depth scale, consciously or unconsciously, as oftentimes subjects are not um, fundamentally aware of a depth scale, but it's been communicated to them subtextually through hearing someone else talk about a depth scale or how hard it is to achieve depth. Um, these self-limiting beliefs can subjectively modify objective reality to a surprisingly large degree, making it very difficult for someone who is naturally skilled at trance to go quote-unquote deeper or to manifest what they think are more complex or difficult phenomena based purely on a combination of their own built-in self-limiting beliefs around how difficult this might be and the hypnotist's built-in self-limiting beliefs about how difficult this might be. I was very fortunate in that not only am I not a huge believer in limitations, but I had a very unconventional education in this topic. And so I didn't take on board many of the other self-limiting beliefs that other people had. And so I managed to basically skip right over them. I used to refer to this in my older classes as uh, 
doing six impossible things before breakfast. And I really like that idea. It's from Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. I have a friend whose favorite little hypnosis trick at parties is to take a woman's clitoris and move it to the back of her hand or her earlobe or something similar. And this is, of course, impossible to do, and yet very possible. It's a fantastic built-in convincer slash deepener. Deepeners and convincers are, again, one of those areas where distinctions break down, because a convincer is also something that inherently reinforces a subject's own both pre-existing ideas and experiential reality of experiencing trance. So it acts as a quote-unquote deepener, as well as a method of verifying actual depth. It's quite reciprocal in that nature. One of the issues that you will encounter... These are tools for connection. What we are seeking is consistent excellence, both from ourselves and from others. Now, learning to shape someone's behavior is actually not that difficult. The basic structure is the Tag Teach Mini Online Fundamentals course, which is free. I keep saying that to distinguish it from there is a paid course as well, which probably would be worth taking if you're interested in that sort of thing, but I try to recommend resources that are as accessible as possible. The nine or the ten rules of shaping. The training game. These are the major components of, of this element. One of the reasons that shaping is so effective is that it relies on many elements that are naturally present in human interaction, but are accelerated or deepened or intensified by the presence of conscious reinforcement. There are two tools which I have also found useful in addition to these when it comes to uh, shaping behavior. Both of them are very simple to use and yet surprisingly effective. The first is the gold star chart. Now you can use this to measure or capture, uh, by capture I mean record, incidences of a behavior occurring and then at predetermined intervals that behavior can be rewarded in a specific way that creates a reinforcer, makes it more likely that behavior is going to occur again. It is a very powerful, very visual reminder of both the authority in the relationship, as well as being super, super simple to use, to create, and very, very effective. You essentially, and I'll put some, uh, some examples of this in the resources folder, but you basically make up a little wall chart. You, I think it's perfectly appropriate to use colored paper and make it pretty and, you know, if your girl is of the artistic bent, then have her decorate it. I'm not that way inclined myself with those skills. Uh, so 
mine tend to be a little bit more functional, but whenever possible, I always encourage them to be beautiful. Beautiful things can be beautiful as well as functional, and functional things can be functional and beautiful. So make it pretty. It should be a simple grid, listing behaviors that are desirable, and then measuring or marking incidences of occurrence. I like to use actual little gold star stickers. You can buy them super cheaply from basically any stationery store in the world. It's very satisfying to, you know, kiss her passionately, bring her over, and put a gold star chart on the wall. The upgrade that I would make from most people's conception, traditionally, of a gold star chart is to ensure that there is some section of it set aside for behaviors for yourself as well, for your dominant self. This is in keeping with the idea of the brainwashing being a mutual uh, conduct. And so tracking the behaviors that you are also being reinforced for as the dominant is also useful and appropriate. You can put yours at the top and list hers underneath, or have a separate section, but I like to put them on the same actual physical wall chart because it really helps to reinforce that you're both in this together. You know, it's a team effort, and you're a team, and you're working together to build an amazing relationship, but not as the primary function of the relationship. Well, building the relationship can be the primary function of the relationship, but building the brainwashing thing that, you know, that involves elements of codependency, which I talked about earlier. And so that should never be the primary function of your relationship. So a wall chart. Make it pretty, make it beautiful, use colored paper, use bright stickers. Hmm. Good memories. It's a very, very effective, simple tool. They take literally moments to make. And they provide you with a good overview as well. It's very easy for you to see if you're overloading your trainees or your trainee, your partner. This is not a class about training people that you're not in a relationship with. Um, by narrowing the scope down like that, it's vastly simplifies the endeavor. You are training someone that you are in a relationship with. And by that, I mean singular. Obviously, these techniques scale quite well, but start smaller than you think. One of the things that you'll learn when you actually play the training game is the importance of positive momentum. After several years of extensively working on redeveloping myself, there are now only a handful of things that make me truly deeply angry. And one of them is how every film slash movie slash television show has the training montage sequence where someone new comes into an experience and they get immediately just curb stomped by someone older or more experienced or more powerful. And then that process is immediately repeated several times until all of the hope and experience and life is crushed out of them and they feel like an absolute abject failure that can never improve. And then somehow something happens on the screen and they become a master at the thing. That's not how actual training works. Unfortunately, it's a perfect example of bro science bullshit where you have that unique combination of necessity combined with a lack of formalized training materials on this topic combining to give many, many dominants the impression that that is how training should be conducted, that you should immediately walk in and just beat someone mentally down into nothing until they feel like an abject failure, until they feel incapable and powerless, until they feel useless and worthless, 
And then, you know, you gotta build them back up again. This again, sort of, this attitude persists in subtextual conversations around training, particularly hierarchical oriented military training, where there's this misconception that military training functions on the idea of beating people down and then beating people, building people up again. It's not really the case. It's more accurate to say that they're trying to remove individuality from an individual to allow that individual to function as part of a larger bonded unit. But that's not what you're trying to do here. You are not trying to beat the individuality out of somebody. You are trying to uplift their individuality. And I hesitate to use the term empower, but I prefer the term exalt. You are trying to exalt, E-X-A-L-T, what makes them amazing. You are not trying to make them more powerful than you. You are trying to uplift them, to make them into a higher version of themselves as you yourself rise through the training process. Shaping someone, even for a short period of time, will immediately expose your insufficiencies, your inadequacies, your insecurities, and allow you to conduct extremely focused, targeted work on those things to improve yourself. I cannot recommend shaping enough. I cannot recommend the necessity of it if you are building a healthy brainwashing relationship. Now, I know that I've rambled quite a lot in this episode, this class. It's because I recorded it in several pieces, and hopefully once I glue all of those pieces together in the right order, everything will make sense. But it's my intention to publish this now and then re-record it at a later date in a more comprehensive fashion and to improve this class because I believe it's a cornerstone topic that will never not need explaining to people. And so I intend for this class to be an introduction and an entry point into more advanced topics, but not necessarily more impactful topics. Do not underestimate the power of a click. Do not underestimate what someone will do for your approval. Someone who has empathy and kindness. And again, this is one of the things that addresses, well, what I'm having to address in another episode is this fairly conspicuous lack of empathy in uh, a lot of modern submissives. There are many reasons for this. The primary of which is uh, just way too much trauma. It makes a woman defensive and it makes them difficult to, well, it makes it difficult for them to open up and be truly emotionally vulnerable sometimes. So resolving that is an element that is unfortunately outside the scope and domain of your relationship in that sort of situation, you know, revert to my earlier comments about helping them and encouraging them to seek professional therapy. The other important point to to recognize that's this useful tool um, when it comes to tag teach, in addition to the process and methodology already outlined, is something called sets. This is my term for them. Basically, what you want to do is One of the tools that you can use, and it's my intention to begin some sort of group uh, that meets on a semi-regular basis where people can talk about the practical challenges that they've had using this material. So I'll probably form that at some point soon. But one of the tools that I'd like to give you to overcome reluctance, uh, not necessarily resistance, but just reluctance in someone is the idea of a set. Now, humans are naturally wired to complete sets. So if you have, 
socks and underwear on that feels more natural than just wearing socks with no underwear. And if you're wearing socks and underwear and pants and a shirt, it feels more natural than wearing just socks and underwear and just pants. Well, for some people. The Europeans have very different attitudes towards um, nudity than Americans do, and uh, that's going to be the topic of a conversation in the future because there is a lot the Americans can learn from the European attitudes towards the human body that I believe would resolve quite substantial and significant uh, social and interpersonal problems. But another example of the Europeans leading the way. So collecting the set, what you can do is you can make up a group of related or semi-related behaviors, some of them that are easy and others that are a little more tricky. And what you do is think of it like those coffee cards that you get when you go to a barista. Um, the loyalty cards, similar to, but not quite exactly the same. Because what you're going to do is make up a little card, and I'll try to put some templates in the resources folder for this as well, so you can just print these off or, you know, fill out and make your own. Um, I'm not a very good graphic designer though, so I'll probably end up just like hand sketching some pen on a paper and then sending you a photograph of that and putting that in the resources folder and you can make your own. But ideally, I'd like to upgrade that to like an actual proper template. That's enough to go on for now. But you take simple behaviors and you make sets of them. So, and then you make some of those behaviors within that set. So let's say five behaviors and they make up a set, five actions, right? And two of them are super simple, two of them are slightly harder, and one of them is, you know, a little bit more difficult for this person. So let's use a simple example of sexual behaviors. Let's say holding hands, kissing, um, sucking someone's dick, um, I don't know, vaginal sex, and then anal sex, right, as a set of five behaviors. Now, it should not be misconstrued that any of these behaviors is morally wrong, only that they increase slightly in technical difficulty. It's a little easier to hold hands than it is to have anal sex, mostly because of the preparation required. So when she does hold hands, you know, you mark that off, you put a little golden sticker, a little golden star next to that one or in the little box. And then, you know, when you make out with her, you put another one in the box because you've kissed. And then when you have her suck your dick, another one. And she can do these in any order that she likes. But what you'll often find is that the inbuilt compulsion to complete the set will help her to overcome the reluctance that she might normally have towards certain behaviors. And so once she's done four of those things, she's much more likely to want to do the fifth. It's not a yes set. It's similar in function, but it's not exactly a yes set. The purpose of it is to help someone who is a little reluctant, but mostly what helps with the reluctance is the hypnotic conditioning recordings, which I'll talk about soon. There are lots of people out there, hundreds that I have helped personally, and many, many hundreds more, I suspect, many hundreds more that have benefited from my podcast and simply emailed me about it, that have struggled uh, with feelings of guilt, shame, um, insecurity, on any number of sexual topics. You know, I I feel bad because I don't get wet enough for my boyfriend. I feel bad because I have difficulties taking his cockle wet in my throat. I feel bad because X and Y and Z. 
Um, and it's because they want to do these things, but there is some sort of inner conflict. Now, the classical solution, well, actually, the classical solution is like stupid psychotherapy that's not very effective. The more effective solution to an inner conflict like that is parts therapy performed by a competent, trained professional, hypnotherapist. Um, and as well as a few other sort of ingredients that I've developed as well. But parts therapy is the simple and obvious remedy to any kind of inner conflict. I'm working on a, a series of materials to allow for the scalability of mental health applications, which I'm very excited about. But the classic solution to an inner conflict, like I want to suck his dick, but, or I want to have sex with him, but, um, is some sort of resolution of that inner conflict. And it's best addressed at an unconscious level because that's where it originates. You have one part of her wanting to do something and another part of her wanting to do something different. And so the solution is not to apply duress or force. Not that the application of force is particularly practical to modern submissives. Um, more just that it has a statistically greater percentage of the possibility of blowback or any kind of... Um, well, I hesitate to use the term fallout, but, you know, associated unintended but negative effects. What was the quote again? Prepare for unforeseen consequences. That's right. So collecting the set can be a really powerful way of helping someone find it fun to do these things. And once they've overcome their own internal resistance to doing that once, it creates a behavior that can then be shaped, captured, recorded, and then reinforced. So that can be something that you can use to help someone overcome minor uh, difficulties or inner, minor inner, inner conflicts about doing something. All right? They'll do the first four, but then when they finish all five, they get a big reward at the end. Um, like a jackpot reward. You'll read about those in the Rules of Shaping thing. Uh, particularly in the Shaping Game. Now, there is an excellent book on this topic, which I'll put a reference to in the notes, but it's called Don't Shoot the Dog by Karen Pryor. Now, I am not recommending that you get this book unless you are a giant nerd who enjoys doing astonishing amounts of background research on things that sometimes never prove actually fruitful. The reason for this is that the book is about dog training, and a surprisingly large number of the core techniques in that book, obviously, have been adapted for dog training. Um, training humans using the same system is massively simpler than training dogs. For one, you can simply instruct them as to what you want them to do, which is sort of the reason, well, the reason that you can't do that is why tag teach works very well with dogs, because you can't just tell them what to do. Um, but there's a significant amount of mental translation as well as physical translation that's needed to turn that book into effective actions for people training other people. And so while it's useful to read it, I do not recommend it. It's more like, oh God, okay, so there was this fucking stupid class that I saw advertised once and it was about the historical background of hypnosis, right? And I thought, okay, so first of all, why is this class like two and a half hours long? 
And second of all, all this does is clutter people's minds with outdated preconceived ideas, ineffective solutions, and self-limiting beliefs that are not based on cutting-edge modern techniques. It is always beneficial to understand some of the context within which certain ideas came to fruition, but that is a two-page A4 size 12 font summary. It is not a 90-minute-plus laborious exploration of the sexual fantasies of some dude that died 400 years ago. It is not particularly relevant to anything. And the further that things move from practicality and applicability, the less respect and regard I generally have for them. So reading Don't Shoot the Dog is not necessary. It's probably a huge distraction, and I'm strongly recommending that you don't do it. Unless you have already mastered operant conditioning, the functional elements of it, and you want some background on how it can apply to dogs. But you will not learn anything from that book that you can't learn from the the 10 Laws of Shaping, from playing the training game, and from the tag teach materials, which have already been adapted to normal human beings doing a shit ton of the work for you. Now, there is a book called The Brainwashing Book by Sleepin' Girl. Um, it's not terrible. However, it is not the book that I would have written. It's not the book that I am writing. And I don't believe that it's necessary. I'll explain my reasoning. It is essentially a simplified, summarized version of Don't Shoot the Dog. And in fact, a good portion of it is lifted essentially word from word, or at least concept for concept from that book. However, whenever I am trying to teach a class, I make a special effort to go as close to the purest form of the source material for what I'm trying to teach. And I believe that fixating on don't shoot the dog to the exclusion of the existence of tag teach is a massive distraction and a huge disservice to the people that are trying to master these skills. The book, in my opinion, is not necessary. In my opinion, it is also basically a simplified Cliff's Notes style version of Don't Shoot the Dog with, in my opinion, limited examples for applicability, particularly to an erotic context. And that is the missing step. When I was younger, uh, one of my favorite book series was, what are they calling it now? Because it was originally just the one book. The Abhorson Trilogy by Garth Nix. And Sabriel Liriel Abhorson. The three books. Excellent books. I'm a huge fan of his work. And uh, I'm a huge fan of those books in particular. Massive fan. <clears throat> this is relevant, I promise. So, no spoilers. But at certain point within the narrative, there's a house that they have built on an island next to a waterfall and the house is like a fortress and the only way to get to the house because it's warded against anyone that tries to fly in or tunnel in you know uh, the only way to get to the house is through leaping across a series of very very small very widely spaced stepping stones from one side of a raging river to the other which is the, the island which carries the house in the center of the river and for some reason, my unconscious mind has always picked up on the idea that if 
and they mention this in the book, that if you slipped on even one of those steps, you'd be carried to your death over the edge of the waterfall, or at least, you know, several miles downriver. And I think of the learning process a lot like that. Your objective is to get to the other side of the river. And if even one of the steps, at any point, early on or even later on, even if it's the last stepping stone is missing, getting to the other side of the river becomes either impossible or extremely difficult. But generally, in this example, practically impossible. Everything can be overcome with the massive expenditure of effort, but that's not what I want you to have to do. All right, it should be simpler for you. And Don't Shoot the Dog is an okay book, but what's missing, the stepping stone that's missing is the translating it into definite actions to be applied to people specifically. So first what's missing is the application for people, and then what's missing is the definite actions part. So my solution to that problem is to recommend a different resource, the tag teach one, because that's already been adapted to humans. And then to solve that second problem is to provide you with clear templates as well as how to make your own to cover most of the common erotic and non-erotic behaviors that you would like to condition into your partner. That solves those problems of the missing um, step stones. Not to be confused with the location in the new House of the Dragon television show, The Step Stones. So, collecting the set, basically you put all five of these things together, or however many that are in each set, but you have it each predefined at the start, so it's all clear. And as she gets closer and closer to collecting the set, that anticipation and the desire for that larger jackpot-style reward builds. To sort of finish off my thoughts on the brainwashing book, I, I do believe that it's quite well written, and I enjoyed reading it, and I own several copies of it, and I often give copies of it to friends of mine. Um, but I also don't believe that it's essential to read it in order to understand this topic. If I was going to write a book on that topic, which I am, uh, I would write it differently, and it would be much more of an original style work and include and focus on the areas that I believe are neglected by that book, which is a series of practical templates that not only teach the important skills of this topic, but make the implementation of them practical and simple for the average person. George Carlin uh, is one of my favorite comics and God rest his soul which is ironic because I think he was an atheist, but, you know, still helps. And uh, he has this routine about how, like, when you think about how dumb the average person is and when you then consider that 50% of the population is even stupider than that, he made some what I think are erroneous conclusions from that, from that comedy bit, but I always try to design everything that I'm building to be as simple as possible and then to go way simpler way simpler than that. So what's missing from that is a simple explanation of the basic techniques of, what would you call it, marker training, operant conditioning, that kind of thing, which I believe is better expressed than I can currently teach uh, in the tag teach materials. And then the missing link is the templates that allow you to translate those skills into the conditioning of erotic and sexual behaviors within your partner 
by providing you with that missing stepstone. So, the training game PDFs, which are in the resources folder, cover the basic process of the game. They also cover exactly how to get unstuck if you get stuck. Um, there are kind of local minimums that people occasionally find themselves falling into. You know, um, someone will get clicked when they're standing on a spot and then they won't get clicked for some time. So they'll go back to that spot and, you know, you not misclick because that's a, a click given when you didn't intend to give one. But more like the person doing the clicking doesn't quite know how to get that person out of that spot when in fact they want them to go somewhere else or do something different. Um, and because the nature of the game is entirely nonverbal, it also eliminates... I'm going to have to do a separate episode on this at some point. It also eliminates that massive tendency that people who are learning erotic hypnosis have to over-talk and to just drown somebody in ineffectual words rather than focusing on the element of the communication, which is critical, which is what the, ta- the training game does so effectively. It is one of the three core drills that I advocate, the three-minute game, the training game, and the um, uh, word cards, so to speak, the um, hypnotic language shortcut system from the Hypnosis Academy uh, as being like central skills in each of these three areas. And we'll talk about those cards in a minute as well. I'm a big fan of those. So that's the basics of Tag Teach. That's two additional tools as well, this idea of a gold star chart, which is, these, these are not related to Tag Teach, but they're related to the idea of marker training. So they're very useful, and I've used them in the past. They are way more fun than they sound. Honestly, one of the things I miss about doing this shaping play with somebody, as I haven't done it with anybody for quite some time now, not from lack of desire, it's from... Uh, It's incredibly inherently fun to do this. It is so much more fun than learning erotic hypnosis is, and that's still pretty damn fun. It's much more back and forth. It is so much more playful. I remember some of the best times I've ever had with people have been when we're playing this in a hotel room, and everything is going great, and we're both learning, and I'm adapting, and there's definitely a a much stronger element of having to think on your feet because of that feedback that you get in real time from your partner that is missing from close your eyes, now an Elman induction, now do the thing, now open your eyes, now we'll do the thing. That doesn't have that same real-time feedback that shaping does. Shaping is way more fun. Um, And I can't promise you that it will always lead to incredible sex, but I think from memory, like 99 times out of 100, it's either led me to incredible sex or to both of us being absolutely ready to have incredible sex and only prevented from it by the necessity to go out to dinner or... uh, you know, be somewhere else at that time. It's an incredibly effective way of bonding with someone. Um, And I would love to teach in-person classes on this topic. It's just that it's not practical with where I live at the moment. But that will change soon. And I, I look forward to teaching those classes in future. So, that summarizes everything to do with Tag Teach. Let's move on to making erotic hypnosis recordings for your partner. Okay, so let us move on to making erotic hypnosis recordings. Now, 
It's important to distinguish that we are not teaching you how to do erotic hypnosis today. I have other classes on that, and I intend to re-record them and update them and improve them. But that's not what we're here for right now. You do not need to learn how to be an erotic hypnotist in order to erotically hypnotize your partner. What you are going to instead learn is how to make recordings for your partner, an equally valuable, and many would say in the long term even more so, valuable skill than actually being an erotic hypnotist. Because most people, when they learn erotic hypnosis, they intend to hypnotize only one person, their partner. Obviously, you can hypnotize other people, but this introduces an interesting little distinction. You don't necessarily need to learn to be the best erotic hypnotist in the world. You just need to learn how to erotically hypnotize this one person. Now, the fantastic thing about this is they already like you. You're in a relationship. Your voice equals happy fun times, right? Whether you're whispering in their ear on a long night or growling in their ear on a long afternoon, they're already conditioned to your voice, which is why I'm doing things this way. I'm not teaching you the intricacies of this and the subtleties of that. I'm teaching you how to make recordings for your partner. Now, don't underestimate this skill. Depending on the content that you put into these recordings, you can... Well, here are some examples. I have created recordings for an ex-girlfriend of mine so that when she came home from work, she could lay down on the couch for 10 minutes, close her eyes, rest her mind, blank everything out, process the incredibly traumatic experiences of her day, and then open them up again after 10 or 15 minutes, feeling absolutely fantastic, and continue on with her evening, we were living separately at the time, unhurried and unburdened by the stresses of her job. Now, that alone, in my opinion, is worth its weight in platinum. You can have recordings of erotic stories that you read to your partner. You can make jerk-off instructional recordings for them. You know, you can have edging recordings. There's all sorts of things. Basically, it's, I don't want to say limited only by your imagination, but think of it like Lego, right? Just like kinky, sexy Lego. You can build anything out of these tools. Anything, right? And the great thing about making recordings instead of doing the sessions live is that if you're a bit gun shy, you can do it over and over again until you're satisfied, right? So you don't have to worry about getting it perfectly right the first time. But there's also the long distance element. You can create something for someone who's very far away from you. And you can give that to them so that they're never really that far away from you. They can always have your voice on tap. They never have to fall asleep without hearing you tell them how proud you are of them or how much you love them or how much you miss them or describing in exquisite detail all the things that you are going to do to them the next time that you see them. It's a fantastic tool for long-distance relationships and I'll do an episode on, on the specific peculiarities of long-distance dynamics soon. It's also an amazing way to provide comfort and guidance to your partner, even when you're not available because of time zone restrictions or busy schedules. All they have to do to have an amazing, incredible hypnotic experience is press play. Any time of the day or night, you can be there for them. 
They can hear your voice. They can feel your support. They can lean back into your arms and let you wrap your strength around them and know that they're loved and safe and controlled and guided and used and whatever it is that you want to twist their mind into feeling. And it's perfect every time. It has all of the same advantages that automation does. Consistent excellence. You make a recording once and they can listen to it a thousand times. I've made recordings for people for a long time and I know for a fact that people that broke up with me several years ago are still listening to my voice regularly. Still subscribing to this podcast, in fact. You know, at first I thought it would be a little bit awkward about having like people I've been in a relationship with tell their current partner to listen to my podcast. Um, but it's not really awkward. The world has lots of room for love. You can create a recording for your partner on any topic. And there's an episode that I did on bracketing, uh, which is the creation of effective brainwashing recordings. And I've got a lot more content on, on this particular topic of making your own recordings coming out soon, because I've realized it's basically the most effective way that you can create something for your partner that just keeps on giving. You know, and, and again, I'd like to emphasize that this is a thing that you can do for your partner, not necessarily that a dominant just has to do for their submissive. Lots of men have stressful jobs too. It's nice to come home and, you know, collapse onto the couch after a heavy day of ripping roof sheets off or demolishing buildings and tune in to someone's voice for 10 minutes while they tell you that they're proud of you, that they love you, you know that the next time that you see them, they'll have dinner waiting. That kind of thing. It's the gift that keeps on giving. And it's the gift that gives even if you're asleep, even if you're tired, even if you're not there, even if you can't be there. For the exact specifics of how to construct brainwashing recordings, you will find more details in the episode on bracketing and in the upcoming episodes I have on this topic. But I will cover a basic outline today. Very simple. And again, I emphasize it's very simple. A lot of people will overcomplicate this, which is why I'm going to present you with a simple and then a slightly more complicated version, sophisticated, sophisticated version, and then like slightly more sophisticated again, levels of, of proficiency. Okay. But don't think for a second, this is beyond you. Now, this is the issue that I have. A lot of people do subscribe to content creators um, and they think, well, my voice has to be as good as theirs, or it has to be as well-produced as theirs, or they have to have special effects and echo and reverb and cool background music. None of that is true. You are not making content for a broad audience. You do not need to be Mariah Carey in order for someone to like your voice. You already have a fan, your partner, someone that loves your voice. So what you have to do, what you get to do, is to learn how to use your voice to make your partner feel different things. Now, when it comes to recording, the single best piece of advice is for you to feel the emotions that you want them to feel and then communicate that through your voice. Emotionally speaking, you go first. So if you want them to feel desire, 
evoke within yourself a feeling of arousal and desire and then let your voice carry that subtextually into the recording. I gave that advice to a girl once. She was making some recordings for her partner and immediately her voice changed from like a lilting semi-valley girl all the way down to this husky lounge singer croon that was absolutely irresistible. When you're recording, feel intensely the emotion that you want your partner to feel. And then just say the words in the script. So, let's go through the rough process. Now, I wasn't going to describe it in this actual audio. All the details will be in the notes. Um, But I'm thinking I'll probably end up re-recording this class at some point in the future. So if I need to change anything, I can update it. I don't like um, information being out of date. And I try my best not to allow that to happen. But I've produced so much content that inevitably some of it will not be entirely up to date. So here is the software that I have used and the processes that I've developed to create erotic hypnosis recordings for my partner or partners in the past. First, you want to start with a really good quality source material. Now, one of the things I will do is put in a list in the notes of where you can find really good quality source material. Discord text chat logs are rarely a good source of quality raw material. Uh, There are a couple of content creators that are amazing at different things, that have different um, sets of recordings. And wherever I've been able to, whenever those recordings are free, uh, I've I've put copies of of the scripts in the resources folder, script library. That's what it's there for. It's there for you to use. And I'm hoping that, you know, content creators will contact me and say, hey, you can use my stuff or, you know, I'd like to write some stuff and add it into your resources library so that other people can benefit for free. That'll happen eventually, I'm sure. But I'll also describe the process by which you can derive your own scripts from other people's work. So what you do is you obtain a copy of the audio, right? Now, so this is how you make your own scripts. So you you obtain the copy of the audio. Now, let's say someone has uh, a Patreon. So you go in, you download the file from their Patreon, and you now have like a video file that's saved on your computer. Now, let's say they don't have a Patreon, and they might have a Soundgasm instead. So the first port of call here is a piece of software called JDownloader, the letter J, Y, Y, Downloader. Um, I'll put a links to all of this software and and a textual description of the process in the notes. So there's nothing that you really need to take notes on here. But you have a piece of software that can basically pull in from a huge variety of different sources. Now, I'm not sure if there's some adware bundled with this. There wasn't from my computer, but you might want to just be be careful instead and double check when the installation is going through that there's nothing in there that you don't want. I don't think there's anything malicious in there. It might possibly be bundled with an ad thing, but you can always just check the box to uninstall that during the installation process. So you use this, you feed it the URL of what you want to download. You can simply feed this piece of software the person's like Soundgasm profile page, and it will loop through and grab all the audios that are listed there all at once. Massive time saver. So grab the content you want using JDownloader. 
Um, if it's a podcast for some reason, you can always use um, gpodder, G-P-O-D-D-E-R. Basically just open that up, feed it the URL of the RSS feed, and let it grab all the episodes for you. Uh, I use it to make copies of episodes just in case for some ridiculous reason someone decides to pull their podcast down or I want to listen to it, you know, at home when I'm working out. Uh, yeah, I just like to make backups of things. And I strongly advise people to make backups of things too. I mean, that's the reason the resources folder is so easy to copy. It's not by accident. I didn't hide everything in Patreon posts one goddamn post at a time. I put it all in a resources folder so you could literally download it with one click because that's what I want you to do. Your life is too precious and too valuable to waste time having to build your own personal archives of things when that person has made it harder for you intentionally to do that. So use software to save yourself some time. JDownloader to grab the audio or the video. Let's say it's a video. Um, then you would use a piece of software called FreeAC. I don't know what it stands for. Open source software has weird names like that. But uh, it's spelt F-R-E-A-C, and you basically feed it a file, and it will transcode it into a different file. So you feed it the video, and it will pull out the audio, and then give you that as something else. So then you have the audio that you want to transcribe. Now, if you have a computer that has a built-in GPU, well, there's one approach. But what you're going to do is use different variations of a piece of software called Whisper. It was released by the same people that released OpenAI. Whisper is a piece of transcription software. You feed it an audio and it can either turn that audio into text and then, if you want to, translate that text into another language. But what we're going to use it for is to transcribe audio files into a script. Now, I've done a huge amount of experimentation in this space, and maybe these recommendations may change slightly in the future. If they do, check the notes for updated versions. But what you're going to do is, if you have a computer with a graphics card, you're going to download a piece of software called Buzz, B-U-Z-Z, and you're going to use the faster Whisper model, not the ordinary Whisper model. This is an optimized version. Then you basically just feed it the audio files, and it will spit out a text transcription. Now, because I have a laptop and my laptop does not have a graphics card because it is super old, I used a different solution. So there are several places online that will basically host the model for you and allow you to feed it an audio file uh, and run transcription through that. Now, I'm not content to spend tens of hours fucking around building something that requires API keys, blah, blah, blah. So... What I've done is I have basically gone to a particular web page called Replicate, and they have a hosted model of Whisper, and then you just feed that into the demo example they have, and it works perfectly fine. And that's good for doing one file at a time. As in, you can only do one file at a time that way. Buzz does hook in with the OpenAI Whisper Cloud, but there seem to be some weirdly conflicting file size resolutions on that, and uh, like the website says... 25 megabytes per file and then in practicality I've never managed to get it to do anything over about 5 megabytes so if your audio is long like you know half an hour or the length of a hypnosis session the whisper cloud option in buzz will usually just choke on it um, which is where the replicate one comes in because I've never had any problems with that just use the demo example not to code your own 
software necessarily, but just use the demo example to actually transcribe the audio files that you want to transcribe. So that's the process for how you get to a raw text script. Now you'll notice there are at this time of recording about a dozen, but hopefully soon more scripts in the resources library, along with a list of what I believe are exceptionally high quality content creators, which would be a cool idea to like take inspiration from their work. Now, I'm not saying steal somebody's stuff. I'm saying pay for it and then transcribe it in your own time um, until you have a raw text file that has your script in it. Then you're basically just going to edit that file and then record from the script. Now, I'll do a separate episode on this in future because it's a topic worth more investigation and exploration. But there are lots of people that will complain about how, quote, scripts don't work, unquote. Those people are wrong and usually varying degrees of idiot. Scripts are the fastest and most effective way to go from knowing nothing to knowing enough to actually do something with it. You might not necessarily gain a deeper understanding of the complex mysteries of life or why this thing is working. You might not necessarily gain the fluidity that you would from knowing how each individual piece fits together and why you're saying these words, but you don't need to know them at the start. All you need to do is make those recordings. Just make some recordings. Set your mind on five recordings, five separate scripts, five separate recordings. And then later on, you can incorporate changes you learn or new techniques right, into those recordings. Now, that's how you get a script. How you make a recording? Well, the simplest version is, if you have an iPhone, I'm sure the Android version is basically the same, but if you have an iPhone, you just use the Voice Memos app, like I'm using, using right now, to record the audio. It's really that simple. You don't need a $200 microphone or a fancy audio software on your computer or years of experience editing it. Just do what I'm doing right now. Use your phone to make the audio. Now, you have a number of huge things working in your favor here. Again, you are hypnotizing one person who already likes you. So they are going to be responsive to your voice, even if your voice is a little crackly, right? Now, microphone positioning, I have this about a foot away from my face, sitting on a desk. Maybe that's good. Play around with positions, blah, blah, blah. Another fun example of what you can do is create uh, voice versions and whisper versions of the same script. So you can read it out in your normal voice or your hypnosis voice, your normal hypnosis voice. And then you can also whisper it out at the same time, which just means putting your mouth really close to the microphone and whispering it. Girls love that. It's awesome. You should definitely make whisper and normal hypnosis voice versions of most of your recordings. I definitely do. Now, for distribution and versioning, here's what I do. So I use a piece of software called Filen, F-I-L-E-N, to create a folder. And that folder is called For Sharing. Inside that folder are subfolders for each individual person that I'm going to share something with. So let's say A, B, C, D, and E, right? And so what I will do is inside that folder for A, I will put all of the audio files in MP3 format encoded at, I think it's 128. Oh, so for software, what I like to do is basically make the recording and then get the recording on my computer. So I have file in installed on my phone. I just synchronize it to a folder so that my, my computer can pick it up. Then I open that piece of audio 
up with a piece of software called OSEN, O-C-E-N-A-U-D-I-O, which is a much simpler version of Audacity, much, much simpler and much faster to use. I would only use Audacity if you needed multi-track editing. OSEN is perfect for everything else. Single track audios with no subliminal, no background music, anything like that. If you want background music, you just take that and put those together in Audacity. But I would start with really, really simple. No music, no subliminals, no multi-layer audio effects, no cleverness, just your voice and sincerity. Mean what you say when you record this, right? Your partner will hear it. And you don't need to be me. You don't need it to be perfect. It just has to be your voice because that's what they love. That's what they want to hear. Tell them that it's all going to be okay and mean it. So you've created the recording using your phone. Now, if you have a proper microphone, you can use that, but that's learning how to do that properly is something you want to look up like YouTube tutorials or stuff on. I make most of my recordings spontaneously or from a script using my phone. Then I upload them using file into a shared folder so that it copies itself across to my computer. Then I edit anything that needs editing. Um, now, one of the best tricks to save a huge amount of time is whenever I have a problem, like, uh, say, a housemate doing the dishes in the background super loudly, I will put these noises in to mark the audio visually. So I'll make a little mouth click three times. Now, when you look at the, edit, the audio for editing, it makes a very, very distinctive shape that's very easy to skim through and pick up on. So you don't necessarily have to listen to the whole audio again to edit it. You can just look for the areas where you've made an error. So I would do something like... Um, delete the sounds of someone doing the dishes really loudly. So I would do the, the three mouth noises to, to mark that section of the audio and then provide right afterwards a simple description of what editing thing I need to do so that I can zip through this and then go, oh, okay, so I need to delete the par previous paragraph or um, change out this for that or say it differently or whatever. But because you're reading from a script, that's probably not likely to happen. Don't worry about mouth noises. Don't worry about background noises. Just focus on making the recording and publishing it to your partner. Then I rename the file and then put it into the shared folder as I described before. So shared folder and then a shared folder for each person. Obviously, since you have a partner, um, you just put it in a folder marked after their name. And then you can share that link with them so that anyone that clicks on that link and puts in the password has access to those files wherever they are in the world as long as they have an internet connection and that link then you want them to download those files onto their phone and the best way to do that is to use a piece of software called a vlc video land media player yeah how do they get vlc out of video land media player hmm. okay anyway you can install a version of that on your phone you don't actually want to download it using the app you basically just want to play it using the app and then it will copy itself across so that it sits there forever. And that's how you get it onto someone's phone. So they access the shared folder. Um, they put the password in. 
They don't necessarily have to have the app installed, but they can, obviously. And if they have the app installed on their phone and it's used the same credentials to log in or you've shared the folder with them through the app, I believe this one has a 10 gigabyte max file size. So as long as you're sharing less than 10 gigabytes of audio files with them, they should be able to make a free account and then sign in and share everything so it synchronizes across perfectly, automatically. Uh, and then they can just access that on their phone. And then you play it using VLC. The reason using VLC is sometimes you might want to play it on a loop through the night and VLC has the ability to do that. You can also add a sleep timer to it so it turns off after a particular period of time. But that's the software that I use currently. So, getting the script, recording the script, distributing the script. Now, when it comes to naming conventions for files, so here's what I learned the hard way. Learn from my mistakes. What you want to do is you want to have every audio sitting in the root directory of whatever folder you're sharing with your partner. Then you want a separate folder within that one that contains the full and complete scripts that are named the same thing as the audio file that they are the script for. This is just in case that person ever wants to read the script. Sometimes a person will say, don't tell me, I don't want to know. But as a general rule, I would default to sharing the scripts unless they've asked you not to. And then I would also have inside that folder a little text file which contains a description of the name of each file and the contents of each file. So what are the themes? What are some of the techniques that that file employs? Um, when is it supposed to be used? So let's say something like deep relaxation, right? Version one. Uh, and then it's sort of the, the, you can't attach the description to the file. You can edit the metadata, but it's just messy. The easiest way to do it is to put all of this in a simple text file and then put that in the same directory as the audios so that you can always have a description of whatever particular audio file it is you're looking for close to hand. Now, when it comes to numbering and naming conventions, I used to just name them like gentle relaxation, blah, blah, blah. Very confusing when you've made 20 files for the same person that are all called the same thing. So what you want to do is I assign a unique number to each file. I'm going to try to put all these in notes so that's much simpler than I'm describing it now. I can only imagine the number of people that are like skipping the next 15 minutes. But <clears throat> so each file in that root directory that you're sharing with your partner has a number. So what I would do is I would make it into a square open bracket and a three digit number and then a closed square open bracket. So 001. And then the name of the file, gentle relaxation, and then the version. So version one, version 1.2, version 1.3. Old versions, you just move to an archive folder that's within the same folder structure. This allows you to open up that little text file and put a description of the number, 001. Okay, um, gentle relaxation. This is a file designed to be used when you're falling asleep at night and it's designed to be really warm and cuddly and snuggly. And then things like, you know, file number three, 003, is super intense brainwashing porn. This is one of your favorite stories about a tentacle monster and I'm reading it for you in my awesome voice. And that way, if they ever actually forget what's in a file, um, they both have the scripts to hand in that separate subfolder named, the scripts should be named after the number and the title of each file so that they can easily be matched up. But then they also have the, like the description of 
what actually is in the file, some of the techniques that you might have used. Um, so things that are important to put in a description, the content, the general process of it, um, the rough techniques that you used, themes, the tone. So like, um, is it rough? Is it violent? Is it aggressive? Is it soft? Is it cuddly? Is it gentle? The tone of it's really important because that usually determines whether someone is in the mood for that sort of thing or in the mood for something different. Um, length is not that important to put in there because once they've made the decision to listen to it, it doesn't really matter how long that takes. They usually know what that is going into it, so length is not that important. It can be useful, though. You can put that in the, the content description, too. I guess I can try to generate some, like some sort of example folder structure within the structure of the resources folder itself to kind of illustrate what I'm trying to talk about here. That might be useful. And that is how you distribute your files to your intimate partner uh, in a really effective way. So I think that's basically everything covered. I guess I wanted to go back because I noticed as I was recording this today that I started off a little bit unfocused and I wanted to kind of bring it all home. The purpose of this class is to teach you how to connect more deeply with your partner through the use of two primary skill sets, shaping and erotic hypnosis. Now, I'm not going to teach you erotic hypnosis, but you can now make recordings, which arguably is a more valuable skill than just being able to hypnotize your partner because you can have them listen to your voice anywhere, anytime, even if you're not there, even if you're very far away. You can always be there for them. So, I hope you've enjoyed this class. I do intend to re-record it in the future, and I'll continually add to and update the notes, but this is something I wanted to put together for a while, a basic introduction on the most valuable skills and how most efficiently and effectively to learn what those skills are. I really hope you've enjoyed this, and if you have, please share it with at least one other person. Just forward it to your partner. Say, this is a cool thing that I liked. Can we do some of this? There are lots of episodes on orgasms and brainwashing in the podcast. Oh, yes, I should mention the podcast. Uh, so the website is The Wordsmith Speaks, T-H-E-W-O-R-D-S-M-I-T-H-S-P-E-A-K-S.com, The Wordsmith Speaks.com. <coughs> And the podcast is called Mind Kink, M-I-N-D-K-I-N-K. Um, not too hard to find. It's a Mind Kink, Better Sex and Erotic Hypnosis, I think it's called. Or something, I can't actually remember what it's called. Um, <clears throat> that's the way you'll find the podcast. The resources folder is at the website. All of this stuff is super easy to find. If you have any questions at all, you should email me. My contact details are at the website. Message me any question that you have and I will answer it. Uh, I'm very approachable. I, I really do enjoy hearing from people, particularly people that have used my work for something and have a question that has come about as a result of having used these things. I really hope you've enjoyed this class. I really hope that you learn to use these skills with your partner. I've made it as simple as possible, but if you have any problems, just reach out. I'm sure I can find a way to simplify it further. I can't think of one right now, but, you know, necessity is a great teacher. I want you to use this with your partner 
build an amazing connected relationship and have a fucking great time doing it. Thank you for listening.